Even to this day, 27 years after his death, Cardinal Joseph Bernardine remains one of the most influential leaders in the American Catholic Church. However, in November of 1993, Bernardine was named in a lawsuit filed by a man by the name of Stephen Cook, a former seminarian of the Archdiocese of Chicago. And in this lawsuit, Cook alleged that in the late 70s, when he was 17 years old, a priest working in the seminary had repeatedly abused him. And then he further alleged that on one of those occasions, he was taken to the private quarters of the Archbishop of Cincinnati at the time, uh, who was Archbishop Bernardine, who also abused him. And this lawsuit claimed $10 million for damages. It was a three-month ordeal filled with turmoil, and the cardinal's reputation was dragged through the mud. All throughout, Bernardine maintained that he was innocent and that he had always led a chaste and celibate life. And eventually, Stephen Cook dropped the charges and recanted from that accusation. And later in a private meeting between the two of them, Cook apologized and begged the cardinal to forgive him. And Stephen Cook left that meeting at peace, at peace with himself, at peace with the world, and at peace with God. But here's the twist of the story. A priest, a priest who had a personal vendetta against the cardinal, was the one who convinced Stephen Cook to include the cardinal in the lawsuit. The cardinal wrote in his memoir that even though Stephen was only pursuing a case against his former seminary teacher, this advisor priest began mentioning me, Cardinal Bernardine, in the lawsuit and said if I was included in the lawsuit, then Stephen would surely get back from the church what he wanted. Could you imagine a priest because of a personal grudge, a priest was willing to do something like that to destroy someone's life and reputation. It's a sad and shocking story, but it does give us a new appreciation for today's gospel, however. You see, the Pharisees and the Herodians had set a perfect trap for Jesus. But first, they felt like they needed to butter him up. So they said, Teacher, we know that you are a truthful man and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth, that you don't care for anybody's opinions because you do not regard a person's status. But after that little compliment, they lit a fire under him with a very innocent Question. Also, it seemed, is it lawful to pay the census taxes to Caesar? 
that one simple question could have easily destroyed the Lord's reputation, career, and it might even get him killed. How? Well, to answer that question, we must first realize that the Pharisees and the Herodians, they hated each other. They hated each other, and they typically did not hang around each other. Why? Because they belonged to opposite ends. They were sworn enemies. The Pharisees were anti-Roman, and they were advocates for Jewish independence. Whereas the Herodians were supporter of King Herod, who was put in charge of the region of Galilee by the Roman empires. And even though they did not get along, these two groups were quite powerful in their own way. The Pharisees had the support of the people, and the Herodians could lean on the power of the Roman Empire, and they had one common enemy, Jesus Christ. Why? Because he did not fit in with either of them. So going back to the question, if Jesus had said, yes, it's lawful to pay taxes, then he would be perceived as openly supportive of the Roman Empire who was enslaving his people. And so his reputation as the champion for the lowly and the oppressed would be totally shot. No one would care what he's got to say anymore. In fact, they might just stone him to death. But if he said, no, don't pay taxes, then he would openly oppose the empire, and the empire's wrath would be on him in no time. So it was a damned if you do and damned if you don't. And they thought they had him. You see, my friends, this question, this trap that the Pharisees and the Herodians set for Jesus was a perfect example of the fact that just because someone claimed to be religious doesn't mean that they always lived their lives the way God wanted them to, sometimes quite the opposite. Having said that, though, I want to spend a minute on this very clever answer that the Lord had given to these men. What did he say? Repay to Caesar what belonged to Caesar, and to God what belonged to God. These words have become so well known and are so frequently quoted, even among non-believers, and because they're so famous and so frequently quoted, naturally, they're bound to be thoroughly misunderstood. Often people take these words as a clear line between the secular world and the spiritual world. A total separation as if one thing has nothing to do with the other. And there is a real danger in this interpretation. Why? The danger is compartmentalization. Big word. 
What does it mean? It means that if we follow this line of thought, we will have people who act in a certain way in church. But then when they're out there, they will act in a completely different way. We will have business people who worship so lively on Sundays in church, and they would have absolutely no problem with being cutthroat to everyone and their uncle for the rest of the week. We will have people who claim to be Catholics, and yet their lives would be so far from the teachings of Christ and the church that they wouldn't even know it if they get hit in the face with the catechism. Why? Because one life has nothing to do with the other. As long as I render to God the worship that I think God deserves, I can go on and live my life however I want. As I said, it was a very wrong interpretation. In order for us to understand properly, properly the words of our Lord, we ought to remember his reference to the book of Genesis, which tells us that God made human beings in his image and likeness. It is God's image that we bear within ourselves. A coin bearing the image of the secular emperor have a particular value. But we, we bear the image and likeness of God. What does that mean? First and foremost, we have incalculable value because of that divine trait within us. Second, we belong to God. We belong to God the moment we were conceived all the way into eternity. We belong to God because God has claimed us as his own. Furthermore, through baptism, we have put on the marks of Christ, priest, prophet, and king. And so, and so it is so important for us to be mindful that we live in the world, but we do not belong to the world. What has the world marked will return to the world. We cannot take them to eternity. Whereas us, we belong to God, and one day we shall return to God. Whether we want it or not, we shall return to God. So hopefully, we have lived our lives in such a way that as we stand before our maker, that his image and his likeness within us have not become so badly smeared and have not become unrecognizable. 